As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your Thai Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. This podcast contains discussion of murder. Listener discretion is advised. On the evening of September 28, 2015, Kelly Clayton was at home with her two young children. Her husband Thomas wasn't home that night. He was at a friend's house playing poker, and when the poker game ended around midnight, he made his way home and walked into what can only be described as a scene from a horror movie. In his home, he found his two young children, and after searching, found Kelly's body. She had been brutally beaten to death. Thomas called the police, and investigators set out to find the person or persons responsible. Hey, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. 
Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. All right. Welcome to a mixtape. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. We have some people to thank. We sure do. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Oh my gosh. Thank you for thanking me. Okay. You're welcome. Um, Okay. So, hey girl, thanks to Morgan S. for requesting this case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, And hey girl, thanks to Mark for writing it up. Yes. Yeah. I remember I watched the Dateline on this case like forever ago. So when I saw it on the schedule and like started looking into it again, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember this one. You have been really tearing up some Dateline for a long, long time. Oh yes, girl. Oh yes, girl. Yeah. I did not know about this case until I knew about it. And I did watch, there is a series on YouTube. I'm not sure if it's only on YouTube or if they just have them on YouTube. But it's called Meet Murder, Meet Mary Murder. Uh huh. And I, I thought was, it was really well done. It was very well done. But I was like, what? Yeah. It had more information than the Dateline did, too. Because I remember when I watched the Dateline, and we'll get into it, but I remember watching the Dateline and being like, surely this isn't all the evidence they had against him. And it's not. They just don't talk about it. Or I missed it, but I don't mm. know. It's they don't talk about evidence. We don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) You just got that stuck in my head. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Um, It's a great song. All right. So we're going to talk about Kelly and Thomas Clayton. But first, we need someone to take us to the beginning. Right back to the beginning. Let's go back. Back to the beginning. Clayton was born Kelly Stage. She was the youngest of three children to Elizabeth and Howard Stage, and they lived in Elmira, New York, where Kelly lived for most of her life. According to the 2020 census, Elmira has a population of around 27,000 people. So cute. 
so pretty. It's so cute. Um, it's one of those places in upstate New York where people go in the fall to watch the leaves change and get away for a while. I mean, it looks just beautiful. Mm-hmm. I bet this time of year it'd be. Oh, yeah. Elmira is beautiful kiss. this time of year. Oh, yeah. When Kelly was in high school, she was involved in many activities. She played softball. She did gymnastics. She was a cheerleader. And through all of that, she still was an honor roll student. She graduated from Elmira Free Academy in 1998. After high school, Kelly attended and graduated uh, from the State University of New York in Oneonta. I was going to go. Oneonta? Yeah, Oneonta. Oneonta. Mark even put a pronunciation there, and I'm too dumb to figure that one out. So here we go. Helps if you can read. (laughs) I did it both ways, though. Yes. But no, in New York, there's a third way that is probably like Worcestershireville. Because they don't fucking spell anything that sounds like what it, like, you can't sound words out in New York. Not, I feel like the, I don't know, just the Northeast in general. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, There's Massachusetts will get you. Yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm. where did we get this? Exactly. Whoever made up the name of this town is still laughing about it. But, I mean, same can be said for anywhere because we know how to pronounce, re- pronounced, pronounced. Oops pronounced readable. And if you look at it, it's readyville and it's just a, you know. That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah. You never argument know. Argument could be made for everywhere in the whole world. Yeah. So I guess uh, before you leave us a bad review that we don't know how to say and pronounce every single town in the entire fucking world, just know that if you had to read a script that had readable in it, you would have said readyville and we would forgive you. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Later in life, Kelly would attend the Country Music Festival in Nashville with a group of friends every year. Mm. I have never been to CMA Fest, which it's called something different now, isn't it? I'm not sure about that. I will only call it CMA Fest because that's the way I know it. Yeah. I think they changed the name of it. Oh. Yeah. But I avoid Nashville like the plague, like Walmart. Well, in that time of the year, like that whole week, it is very busy. Good luck getting anywhere. Downtown, downtown, you are not getting anywhere. Yeah, forget about it. Well, because when I lived kind of close to downtown, I mean, I was like, I could see downtown from my apartment. I was like, what? When can I leave the apartment, though? And it's a trick question. You can't. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's Good thing where you, you live are here now. because you are never leaving ever again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I'm sure that was fun, like a fun, fun girls trip. Oh my gosh, especially if you're really into that, like a festival and stuff like that. That sounds super fun. And honestly, oh, yeah. Nashville is a huge, like, tourist place for reasons. It is uh-huh. fun. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely really fun, especially if you're not from here. You can get you some cowboy boots and wear you a cowboy hat. It's fun. We saw, I saw some, it was two ladies leaving a hotel yesterday in the teeny little cutoff jean shorts and some cowboy boots and some cowboy hats. And I was like, I know what they were here for. <laughs> yep. Hey, you guys, have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times, we thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind, mm-hmm. where we answered this question, and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. 
Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash misskb, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers. So just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. But I mean, that was a trip she looked forward to every year and she really enjoyed it. She and her family would also vacation in Ocean City, New Jersey, which she called her happy place. Her family said anyone who came into contact with her knew exactly where they stood with her. She rarely, if ever, minced words. She did not hold back her thoughts. Kelly was the first one to offer kind and encouraging words when she felt like somebody needed to pick me up as well. So it's not like, I mean, she was just a really honest person. I really appreciate that kind of quality, especially yeah. in somebody who also has the kind and encouraging words. Yeah. Um, but I want to know where I stand with somebody. So uh-huh. just say it. Because in the South, that's sometimes hard to come by. People be sweet you... as sugar to your face. Yes. And you're like, what? what did I do? Like, it feels like you don't like me, but you're nice to me when I see you. I'm very confused by the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's the whole bless your heart thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Kelly didn't... She wasn't one of those people who like, because it's a pretty small town, you know, Elmira, but she wasn't one of those people that was like, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. Like, I, you know, I want to move away and all that kind of stuff. So her friends and family were super surprised when kind of out of the blue, she was like, all right, I'm moving to Vegas. They were like, oh, (laughs) we didn't realize you wanted to move at all. Um, While she was in Vegas, she worked at the Imperial Palace as a cocktail waitress. And she was there for a while and then kind of decided like, "Eh, I think I'm about ready to go back home. So she came back to Elmira. So at that time, Elmira was home to the Elmira Jackals, a semi-pro hockey team that called Elmira home from the year 2017 before they had to fold and cease operations. Elmira loved the Jackals, and the team often sold out the arena for home games. That's pretty, I would say that's impressive for like a kind of small team, you know? Well, and for them to have to fold doesn't, I mean, I'm guessing maybe in the later years, they weren't selling out the arenas, but it seems like they were very popular. Yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of hometown pride for it. Yeah. So Kelly would go to the games as well. She enjoyed going to the games. And there was a home game that she and her sisters went to. And she saw Thomas Clayton on the ice. And immediately she was just like, that Close up on his eyes, close up on her eyes, close up on his eyes, close up on her eyes. I know. Because he like, the way they told the story is he like got pushed up against the glass, you know, in like one of those big fights in hockey. But like she was sitting there and it was literally like they locked eyes while he was being pushed up against the glass. And like maybe he was bleeding or somebody else was bleeding. I don't know. But like it was in that moment that she was like, this this is the guy for me. Oh, that's wifey right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, Thomas Clayton was born in... Binghamton, New York. You got that wrong. Did I? 
I don't know, but I oh. know you got it wrong. I felt like I did, yeah. Uh, growing up, he played hockey, and after high school, he attended Niagara University. After college, Clayton had the opportunity to join the Elmira Jackals as a forward. Um, Mark actually does us the solid of explaining some of the hockey positions. Well, and I think he he's like, you know, here's a rough explanation, very dumbed down. Uh-huh, uh-huh. everyone can understand it. And I'm like, I don't get it, but okay. I believe you though. Yeah. Yes. In hockey, there are a few different positions. So the goalie stands in front of the net and defends against shots from the opposing team. That one I I know, I've yes. heard of. Yes. I've met her before. There are defensemen who play in the half of the rink near their own goal to help defend players as they try to score. And then there are forwards. So those are the ones on the team who play on the other side of the rink and they're trying to score against the opposing team's goalie. I think I'm picking it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think in lacrosse, like a hockey forward is what they call an attackman. If you play attack, you're on the other side trying to score. Hmm. And then they have middies who go both ways. I don't get that. And then they have the defense people. It's all very confusing. It's very confusing. And everybody's mm-hmm. got a different term for it. It's like, well, these are the garbage bags, and yeah. they run just in circles the entire time. Uh-huh. This one is a scrub bucket, and he <laughs> stays. What? And then, like, then there's abbreviations for everything. And I'm like, well, of course there are. What of course was that? there are. Let's and make this like, even more confusing. Yeah. And, like, when we go watch, like, the boys play flag football, I don't know what the fuck is happening. Like, I can see where the ball is, and, like, I get— rudimentary, okay, I I get what we're trying to do here. But like Andrew will be watching and he'll be like, oh, see, he's trying to come around this way and they're trying to force the ball. But I'm like, how the fuck are you seeing where the, what the play is? These are children who are not doing the play right, first of all. But so like, how do you see what the the coach was trying to accomplish there? What is happening? He's like, no, see, this guy's going to run this way and this guy's going to run that way. And then they're going, no, no, no. Oh my gosh, I feel like, I'm going back to Little Giants, the annexation of Puerto Rico. Like, I don't, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where are the X's and the O's? And now we nope. now this one's all the way over here and blah, blah. I don't mm-hmm. get it. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Andrew used to like pause football games and like try to draw out the plays for me, like with the X's and O's and everything. And I'm like, listen, <sighs> if you want me to learn this, then I'm going to have to teach you winged eyeliner. Like, I don't like... And you have to sit down for a tutorial. I have to show you. Like, you have to be all in it because... Yeah, we're today we're going to learn um, contouring and why you can only do it this way, this way. Like, it, he doesn't care. I'm like, you're never going to get it. I'm never going to get it. Let's just move on. Well, I mean, it's exactly like Nick Swardson's whole thing where he's like my little nephew or somebody um, wants to talk about Pokemon and he wants to tell me everything about it. And he's like, so that's why I bring him in the bathroom and I read him all of the ingredients on the back <laughs> of the bottles. I'm like, see how that feels? Yeah, exactly. Because who cares? Um, All right. But, you know, there's that. So (laughs) there is one position that's kind of like an unspoken position. I freaking love the name of this one. It's a goon. It's a goon. It's a goon. So they some people refer to the goon as the enforcer, the tough guy, the fighter. I heard um, also people call him the instigator. That actually is a great name for him specifically. 
Exactly. So the goons, but we will henceforth only refer to him as the goon because that is more fun. So the goon's job is to deter or respond to like a dirty or violent play against his teammates. So when something like that happens, the goon is supposed to get like be aggressive. So he's supposed to like fight or check the offender. And then the goon is expected to basically make a big scene and he's supposed to go after like the star players or the goalies. And the goal is that if he gets this, he riles this other player up enough, they get into a fight, then that star player is going to have to go in the penalty box for two minutes or five minutes or whatever it is. So then the other team has to play man down for that time. And that's like a big damn deal in hockey. Uh, well, that's an interesting, interesting technique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm sure it is very lucrative for everybody. I don't know. I, d- I didn't know that. I thought they were just like mad at each other. Yeah, no, apparently it's like, because I've seen that in like the Preds games or whatever, you know, they'll be like, all right, you know, they're playing man down. So hopefully like the Preds will score or whatever. And then like, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't really know. But like, I've heard, I've heard Andrew talk about the whole man down situation. I think yeah. it's that way in lacrosse too. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's so crazy though, but I mean, bold move. Let's see if it pays off. I don't know. Um, I will say I have been using the term goon for quite some time. I don't even know when I started reusing it. I know I've said it before, but I just like to, my goons being goons, man. Like I don't, I just keep on saying the word goons. Well, it's a fun word. It is fun. Thomas Clayton was a goon on and off the ice, I would say. Hmm. What a fucking goon. Oh yeah. Don't you think? Big time goon. Okay, so one incident off the ice. So, I mean, he was getting in fights on the ice all the time, right? That's his job. He's a goon. But off the ice, he goes to a bar with another player. And they're being idiots. I mean, apparently he was getting up and dancing on the bar, but he was damn near naked. Unless you're at Coyote Ugly. I don't know if that's allowed. But I don't know that we want our wangs out at Coyote Ugly. Do we? I don't know. I've seen one of the coyote ugly waitresses punch a guy in the face. So I'm sure they could, they would handle it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. He was getting his hockey stick out and people were not pleased with that. The stick and the pucks or? Yep. Stick and pucks right out. They were like, get your, put your stick and pucks away, man. (laughs) So he wouldn't put them away. Okay. So he's dancing on the bar. He's being an idiot. And, um, Some other bar patrons were like, I don't want to see your pucks, dude. Like, get them out of here. And he got in a fight with them. And so this fight spills out into the street and people are like punching each other and all this stuff. Goons being goons. Goons being goons. And what Tom didn't know is that the people that he was fighting were four Elmira police cadets. So they charged his ass with public lewdness. And in the actual... charging document, it said, stick and pucks out for all the world to see. (laughs) I saw it. And um, harassment for dancing on the bar. So his friend was charged with felony assault initially. Um, Months after the incident, both pleaded guilty to reduced charges of just disorderly conduct. Mm. I would like to propose to you, Torella, a proposition. Mm -hmm. Let's create a bar called Sticks and Pucks. Okay. But it could be like, remember Sticks and Stuff? It would be that theme song. Oh. It's like Sticks, sticks and Pucks. 
sticks and pucks, sticks and pucks. That's fun. I like it. Okay. Um, so Kelly met Tom one night when they were both out at a local bar. I believe his sticks, stick and pucks were safely <laughs> inside his, his shorts at this point. Um, right. But it was a bar that players were in the were penalty box that at. night. Oh. <laughs> Put him, yeah. Okay. That was okay. a good one. Okay, that's enough. Thank uh, you. <laughs> Kelly had a friend who was also a bartender there. So uh, right after they met, people were like, okay, Tom and Kelly are like the best couple. They compliment each other. You know, they work together really well. One article said that they had a, quote, lands end catalog, like good looks and had an easy chatty demeanor. I mean, they were both very good looking people for sure. Yeah. So they meet, they start dating and they got married pretty quickly. Um, once they got married, Kelly was literally at every hockey game. She was so supportive of Tom's dream of making it to the NHL. It just, she was just so fucking good to him. I know how he found an angel that would put up with all of his bullshit and exactly. believe in his dream. Because like, you would think, like I get some guys, you know, will get into fights or whatever, but this is a person that's just such a level of immaturity that like everywhere you go, you have to get in a fist fight with somebody because what you want to prove that your pucks are bigger than his pucks? Like what's the <laughs> I guess one could call it practice for the job. I guess that's true. Well, I don't. Yeah. But hating him. Yeah. Um, in 2006, though, he had gotten several rejections from the NHL. He decided to retire from hockey and he got injured too. So it was like a whole thing. That same year, Tom and Kelly moved to North Carolina where they bought several multi-unit rental properties and they started a taxi business for people to call when they were too drunk to drive. That I feel like if he had taken that a step further, he could have been the one to create Uber. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, close but no cigar there. Um, after being in North Carolina for five years, the couple decided to go back to upstate New York and they bought a brown paneled house basically in the middle of absolute nowhere in Caton, New York. It was in a wooded area. It was very secluded. It was a home that you're not going to happen upon, right? Mm-hmm. You got to know where it is to get there. And their friends, the Millers, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, were like, I felt scared about their house. Like they were like, I would not want to live there because it is so secluded and it's just fucking creepy. Well, I mean, I'm sure we've all, we all know that kind of house you've seen it in a horror movie i guarantee it like oh exactly yeah yeah the house the cabin in the woods the house in the woods yeah yeah um once back in new york kelly waited tables at a local restaurant and tom opened a franchise of paul davis emergency services which is a home restoration company that helps after like a fire or water damage occurs in homes Later, Tom partnered with a former teammate and opened a Serve Pro franchise, which is the same thing as just a different, larger company. I think a lot of people have heard of Serve Pro. I had never heard of Paul Davis Emergency Services. That might have been like a local thing, but I've never heard of either. So, oh, well, Means nothing to these, this old bitch. Well, pay attention. They have bright green trucks, they're all around. You know what? I'm never, I'm going to see. 17 of them. You are. Yeah, Yeah. you will. (laughs) Um, While they were both working, they also invested into local rental homes and made extra money that way. And as the years go by, their family is growing. By the year 2015, Kelly and Tom had welcomed two children into the world, a daughter, Charlie. Oh, (laughs) 
I'm sorry. Charlie bit me. (laughs) I was going with um, Charlie. (laughs) Charlie. (laughs) Yeah, whoopsie. A daughter named Charlie and a son, Cullen. Also, if we ever had a daughter, like Charlie was my top name. It was going to be Charlotte, but call her Charlie because it's so cute. It's so cute. And Cullen is a very cute boy name. And I everything that I've seen of them with the children... The children's faces are blurred out, understandably so. Let's protect those babies. But if they look anything like what I think they look like based on that beautiful hair. Oh my gosh. They look just like Kelly. Uh Uh-huh. They didn't blur it out in the dateline. Oh, interesting. Which I thought was weird. Yeah, they did on the Mary. Yes, they did. Which they should. Yeah. And they they in that one they didn't say their names. No, they did not. Yeah. Which again, I'm I'm fine with because like let's protect them, you know. So let's talk about the night of the murder. The night that Kelly was murdered, Tom was at a friend's house playing poker, mm-hmm. as he did. It seemed like every damn night, but mm-hmm. yeah, it seemed a like a poker. once a week game. So he was there like every single Monday night, which is fine. Like go and do stuff with your friends. Was Kelly getting one night where she got to do stuff with her friends? Probably not. Well, but I mean, he he played poker other places as well. So I mean, yes, he, he yes. was very big into poker, but. Over the years, Tom had developed a taste for gambling, and it wasn't a secret that he usually carried large amounts of cash. I guess because you just never know when you're going to need just a wad of hundreds and, well, magnum condoms too, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, So they had two safes in their home, each containing cash, and then Tom would often carry large amounts of cash to casinos and play at high-stake poker tables. And one time he loaned his car to a friend's sister, and he had $22,000 in cash in the trunk. That's just dangerous. That takes some real pucks, you know? <laughs> well, I'm just asking for that shit to get stolen. I know. It's thinking with your stick, you know what I mean? It's like, I, don't, I just don't understand oh, it because sure. it's, it's a stick measuring contest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, would I do it? No. It's just um, stupid. Like... Well, and it feels the opposite of what, why can't I think of his name for anything? Oh my goodness gracious. Um, The cat lady on Joe Exotic, his arch nemesis. Carol Baskins? What was her ex-husband? I don't know if you can call him ex-husband. Donald Lewis? Don Lewis? Yes. It seems like the opposite of him. He would carry around a lot of money. Uh huh. But yeah. you didn't really know that he was that rich. But right. Tom seems like he was like, "You want to check out all the cash in my trunk?" Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, you can borrow my car. Be sure you you put all of your things in the trunk, though. Yeah, there's nothing major in there. Just a just about twenty two thousand dollars, which is a drop in the bucket to me. Yeah, I feel like he's like, <laughs> what was that movie? Um, it was something with sundials. It might have been The Emperor's New Groove. He's like out there with a trench coat and he's like, get a load of these. And it's just wads of cash in his <laughs> trench coat. Like that seems like that's what Tom was doing. But anyway, yeah. so the game that night, the poker game, it wasn't a high stakes game. 
It was the weekly game that was hosted by their neighbors, and that was Linda and Greg Miller, who Torella discussed earlier. So every Monday, that's what they would do. They would go to their house and they would play. And the poker game that night had just been a regular, normal night like they did every week, except for the fact that they decided to call it quits around midnight instead of later like they usually played. How do they play later than midnight? I don't know how people do it. I know. They usually would go till like one or two in the morning. I was like, what? And this is on a Monday. A fucking Monday. I personally just cannot do it. I was struggling to stay up till 10 o'clock like I did last night. So so everyone stopped playing at midnight. And by 10 minutes later, everyone was gone. And Tom arrived home sometime around 1230. And then he walks into the house. And immediately there were signs that something was wrong. There was blood on the floors. There was blood on the walls. One wall along the staircase had a hole in it. Then as he goes through the kitchen, Tom found Kelly laying on the floor naked below the waist. She had a head wound and what was described as a halo of blood around her head on the floor. Mm. The struggle woke up Charlie, their daughter, who told Tom that their house had been broken into. And Tom quickly grabbed Charlie and Colin and ushered them to a neighbor and called 911. And the 911 call, uh, on the 911 call, he says, my wife, she's dead. So officers quickly arrived on scene and they were met in front of the house by a neighbor who told them that Tom and Kelly were inside. And when they approached Tom, they asked him where Kelly was and he told them. They told them to come outside with him and sat him on a patrol car and told him to calm down and breathe as they secured the house to make sure that the intruder wasn't still there. So as they go through the house, they noted all the damage and the blood that was scattered about. And the officer's body cam captured everything and He was describing what he was seeing as he's walking through, right? And so you can hear his voice tremble as he's walking through this house. He said it looked like that. He said that as he looked through the house, it looked like Kelly had been attacked in the master bedroom and then a struggle ensued. She was fighting back as she was being beaten and she was drugged all the way down the stairs and into the kitchen and living room area. As the first responding officer left the house, another officer approached and asked what happened. And the first officer said, quote, it looks like a domestic. There were no signs of forced entry or a break-in. There were no broken windows or anything to explain how someone could have broken in or would have broken into this house. So by this time, word began to spread and Kelly's friends and family arrived at the scene. On the officer's body cam footage, you can actually hear her sister, um, Mm -hmm. Kelly's sister, screaming and asking where her sister is and why she can't see her. And we actually have a clip of that. It is so tragic. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. Because she's saying, like, I thought she would be in the ambulance that they'd be working on her, and she's not in there. Mm -hmm. And And they they didn't put her in the ambulance because at this point, it's clear that there's nothing that first responders can do. Like, she's already passed away at this point. Yeah. And for her, like you hear her sister come to that realization Mm -hmm. and it's just tragic. It is so tragic. The police questioned Tom and within a day he was arrested and charged with second degree murder. But how did we get here already if he had a solid alibi? Mm -hmm. Now, this reminds me of the Betsy Faria case. Uh, Because remember, he, Russ was out, I believe, playing poker. No, he was not. He was playing like Dun- Dungeons Oh, and that's Dragons. right. He was. Yeah, he was playing D&D. Okay. So he was out with his friends and he made some stops on the way home and blah, blah, blah. So he had a solid alibi too. And they charged him and, you know, all this stuff. There are glaring differences in the two cases though. <laughs> yeah. Like in this case, there's actual evidence. Mm-hmm. 
In the Faria case, there was not. So it's just In the Faria case, there was Pam Hub. So Exactly. So it's just interesting how it's almost the same scenario. So like, is it possible that Tom had nothing to do with it? Of course it is. But the police do their due diligence and there's you're we're gonna see why it's not that way. But of course his defense is like, no, 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 like whatever. Anyway. <laughs> that's they got up on the they were like, Your Honor. Um, no. <laughs> and that's all they said. <laughs> but let's talk about the investigation. So immediately the police were suspicious about Tom Clayton. They started the investigation by digging into his alibi. So they talked with Greg, Linda, and all the people who were at the poker game that night, and they all confirmed that he was there and what time he left. While some were investigating that, another officer was questioning the Clayton's young daughter, who apparently had witnessed a lot of the attack. And listen, they put some of the interview and questioning mm. into the Meet Mary murder, yeah. I think is what it was called. Um, I'm not sure about the dateline, but she is so well-spoken. She is. She, I don't know how old she is because, you know, we can't see her. I think she um, was seven at this point. It is incredible the amount of, like, poise and bravery yeah. and strength that she had to relay all of this to investigators. Uh-huh. That being said, I felt so terrible for her because she should never know any of this, let alone have to recant and recall any of this. Like, no, like, so she saw, I mean, she, she tells the police, like a robber came into my house. I saw him, she saw him beating her mom in the head. Mm-hmm. Like he was hitting her and she was like, there was blood everywhere. It really, really broke my heart that Kelly's last words were run, Charlie, run. She mm-hmm. was just screaming that run, Charlie. I cannot imagine. It's like one thing for somebody to attack you. It's a whole other fucking ballgame when you know that you are the only thing that is standing between an intruder and your children. Like it was just so heartbreaking. And she said after her mom was laying there and after he left, she went and gave and hugged her leg. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was so sad. Um, But they asked her, how tall was the man that you saw? What was he wearing? Um, One of the officers was like, was he heavier than me? Was he skinnier than me? Was he taller than me? Was he shorter than me? Like the officer is trying to relate everything to him. Bigger or smaller than me, taller or shorter than me, you know, all that kind of stuff. Her only frame of reference, really, for a man, her main frame of reference is her dad. So she's saying, well, he looked like my dad. Well, was he taller than me or shorter than me? He was the same height as my dad. Was he heavier than me or skinnier than me? He was like my dad. And they they said, how do you know for sure it was a man? And she said, well, because of the eyes. I could see that because he was wearing a mask. And they said, what kind of mask was he wearing? He was wearing the same kind of mask my dad wears when he goes hunting. And... That really got them. Now, I'm glad that they kept digging and found other information because their main reason for charging him as early as they did was because Charlie said the intruder looked like her dad. Mm-hmm. But he was wearing a that mask. that is compelling because you've got an eyewitness, unfortunately. And I know that I said recant earlier. I know that I used the wrong word. I meant recall because mm-hmm. um, I, I just don't want people. I know what it means. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to put that out there. Delete your bad review. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what it means. It was, uh, I misspoke and I tried to clear it up. But um, yeah, yeah um, even though they shouldn't go on just that and he was wearing a mask, I totally get all that. But it is 
really, really interesting because she she was there. She saw it. She should have yeah. never had to. Right. But she did see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like eyewitness testimony is very unreliable. We talked about that a lot in when we covered the Innocence Files in our Doc Jams. They have mm-hmm. a whole episode about eyewitness testimony that is very, very eye-opening. And it is very unreliable. And especially when you have because again, a kid, when they when they see somebody, they're typically going to liken that person to somebody they know, right? They're not, yeah. a child is not going to be able to look at somebody's face and be like, well, they had almond-shaped eyes. They right. had a, you know, thin nose. They're not going to do that. They're going to be like, okay, well, you know. I mean, when I was little, men either had a beard or they didn't have a beard. And that was it. That was the only difference I could tell between men, right? And like mm-hmm. dad came home one time. He always had a beard when we were little, he shaved his beard off one time. He came home and I was like, I don't know that man. Get him away from me. I didn't recognize him at all. So like, of course you need to take that into account. You need to look into it, but that's not, the police said in his interview with Andrea Canning, our, cause she said, what was your probable cause to arrest him? And he said, well, the daughter said he looked like the perpetrator looked like her dad. Like, but you know, her dad wasn't there. You've already verified that. Like, they still did, they were still right, but like, that can't be your only thing, you know? Like, no. seems Mm-mm. a little whatever, but. Um, keep pulling the sweater. Keep pulling the sweater. The whole thing will unravel. So they're doing their investigation. They had gone to the Miller's house, you know, to talk about the alibi and all that kind of stuff. So Linda was like, okay, I do remember one thing that like now is sticking out to me. So she said that at one point she was in the kitchen, she was doing dishes. It seemed like the game was like wrapping up maybe, or maybe not wrapping up, but she was doing the dishes for whatever reason. And Tom comes into the kitchen. He's like, Hey Linda, can I please borrow your cell phone? I left mine in the truck to charge, which your phone doesn't charge when your truck is off. Yeah. Okay. So she's like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. And so she's like, it's in the other room. It's on the charger, but like, sure, you can have it. So she goes in the other room. She unplugs it for him. She gives it to him. He kind of goes down like back through the hallway, I think, and makes a phone call. And she said it was kind of like hushed. Um, He seemed to be like trying to be quiet, whispering. He certainly didn't come into the room with everybody to make this phone call. Right. Um, She said it was a really short call. He gives her back her phone. But later, like after all this happened and everybody was like, all the people that were at the poker game that night were kind of talking, she mentioned this phone call and the other people that were there playing that night said, Tom had his phone on him. He had it at the table out with him. And she's like, what? Well, then why would he... stinking liar. Yeah, why would he ask to use my phone? That doesn't make sense. So she went back through her phone and she looked at the call record. And there's no record of the call that Tom made. She knows he talked to somebody. She could hear him talking to somebody. And she gave him her phone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she gives her phone to her husband and she's like, am I doing something wrong here? Like, am I just not getting this? And he's like, "Uh, no, it looks like he erased the call. So they take that a step further. They get online and they log into their cell phone provider thing and they find that call because it's there. He just erased it from the phone itself and it shows the number that was called. So they write down that number and they give that to the detective. And the detective uses the holy grail of all investigative tools, Facebook. He plugs the number into Facebook. I guess there are plenty of people who actually put their numbers on Facebook. I guess. I don't know because I've 
never, I would never think to plug a phone number into Facebook, but he I'm did. weird about putting like my birthday on there sometimes. I've seen I you, know. you know, like I don't, I don't want to mess around with any of that stuff anymore. Exactly. So he puts it into Facebook and the phone number pops up as belonging to a man named Michael Beard. Well, who in the... H-E double hockey sticks? <gasps> oh my God. Yep. Good one. Thank is Michael you. Beard. Um, so Michael Beard was a man that had worked for Thomas Clayton at both of his businesses. He'd been fired at both of his businesses. He was actually renting one of the homes that the Claytons owned, but he was about to be evicted because he had not been paying his rent because he had been fired. He's so three for three there, isn't he? He really is. He had also worked odd jobs for the Claytons around their house when they needed help with projects. He did like mowing and some handyman kind of stuff, stuff like that. And when the police talked to Kelly's family and they said, who would want to hurt Kelly? Every single one of them said, look at Michael Beard. There's something there. Look at Michael Beard. They thought because he had just gotten fired, he'd gotten fired from Serve Pro two weeks before Kelly was murdered. Hmm. And they thought maybe this was a grudge and they knew that he was about to be evicted or maybe had already been evicted at this point. So they were like, go talk to him. So they bring him in for questioning. Now, remember, Tom has already been arrested for second degree murder. They bring him in. He initially denies everything. They give him a polygraph test. He fails miserably. And then he says, okay, you know what? Yeah, I did it. Because they they also had the phone call information at this point too. Like, why did he call you? And all this stuff. So he finally admits to it. And he says that Thomas paid him $10,000 to kill his wife. And he ends up leading police to where the murder weapon was. He had thrown it out the window along a highway. It was a fiberglass handle to a mall hammer. That sounds horrific. Mall, M-A-U-L, hammer, mall, well, like yeah. a bear. And Mark <laughs> went an extra step further and explained what a mall hammer is. So it's a long-handled hammer with a heavy head of wood, letter, iron, and it's kind of like a mallet. Yeah. Imagine that. I mean, and he hitting somebody with in that. that. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, that's awful. Have you ever wanted to say I love you, but you're too scared to say it? What about to yourself? Maybe like a little like, hey lady, I think I love you. Oh. Maybe that's too uncomfortable. That's okay. But we can't all be full of ourselves like Tori is. Whoa. All right, well, but if you want to show yourself you love you, maybe try Everly Well. With Everly Well, you can find 30 plus at-home lab tests, vitamins, supplements, and more. And you can share that love with the people in your life. Everly Well is digital healthcare designed for you with personalized results and accessible tools for long-term health. With over 30 at-home lab tests and high-quality vitamins and supplements, you'll be able to find the perfect test for you or your loved one. The women's health, food sensitivity, and celiac disease screening tests are only a few of the options. So here's how it works. Everly Well ships products straight to you or your loved one with everything you need in one package. If you ordered an at-home lab test, the sample can simply be collected at home and shipped back to a certified lab in the prepaid envelope included with the test. Digital physician-reviewed results are sent straight to your preferred device in just days. If you ordered vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine right away. It's so simple, over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness goals. And now you can help your loved ones do the same. Now I'm telling y'all, 
The at-home lab tests are so easy to do. And as someone who is terrified of a finger prick or like doing a blood test, I was apprehensive, but I did not have a one problem doing this. Easy as pie. The gift of health has never been so easy to share than it is this holiday. For listeners of the show, EverlyWell is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash queens. That's everlywell.com slash queens for 20% off your next at-home lab test. everlywell.com slash queens. He also led them to a swampy area where they recovered a bag with clothes in it that he wore that night. And then he helped them find the house keys that Tom had given him to get into the house. They were at the bottom of a creek. You're not pronouncing that right. Oh, crick. Excuse me. Thank you. Michael Beard repeated the confession in front of the grand jury, and both men were indicted for uh, murder for hire. But get this. (laughs) Okay, so when... It came time for the trials. Beard goes first, and this is in November of 2016. At this time, he went on ahead Uh and decided to change his confession. Ooh, um, we didn't do a window open scale. (gasps) And if we don't give you a warning about this part, then we're not, we're doing your windows a disservice. Um, Well, they're going to be gone anyway. Just rip off part of your house. Wrecking ball, whatever you got to do. Yeah. Um, throw a couch out of it. If there's anybody in your house at all. Their asses are going out the window. Yes. And it's not your fault and it's not their fault. Mm-mm. They you... will be fine, I'm sure. But just pitch them on out. Yeah. Your hands are tied because this is so enraging mm-hmm. that um, honestly, if anybody's left in your house or any items are left in your house, then you've not done it right. <laughs> exactly. That's just how I feel. So, he said that Thomas had not paid him to kill or to murder Kelly, but instead he paid him to help in an insurance scam. And he said that Thomas wanted him to burn his house down for the insurance money and that Thomas told him that the house would be empty. So, Beard said that when he arrived at the house, he discovered that the robbery had already taken place. He just walked up. He was like, oh, shit, somebody already robbed this place and murdered Kelly. Uh And so, he just turns around and leaves. But nobody stole anything. They just got it. Now, and I do understand that, like, robbery gone wrong does happen. Home invasion gone wrong does happen. That somebody gets surprised by somebody being in the house, they kill them, and then they leave, maybe without taking something. Right. But usually you're also going to find evidence of forced entry and things like that. So just no, it didn't happen. No, like, no. Mm -mm. It did not happen. And again, we just got through talking about how Michael Beard led them to all the evidence. To all of the evidence. And it's Kelly's blood was all over his clothes and the weapon that they he led them to. And he's like, no, it's not. Exactly. Um, she had a nosebleed on that shit a year yeah. ago. It fell out of her hair that way. I did not do this. Nope. It's just, it's so ridiculous. So in court, and he's speaking to Kelly's family. This is horrible. He said, quote, I did not kill that person. I'm sorry for your loss. I know you mourn, but I, Michael Beard, did not kill Kelly Clayton. May God rest her soul. I think what enrages me the most about this statement is I did not kill that person. Mm-hmm. That person has a name. I know he goes on to use it. Well, and listen, I don't even like when he says, I know you mourn. Like, no shit, I mourn. And you don't have the... It just feels so entitled in a weird way. I don't know. It's like, you yeah. don't get to say that. You don't get no. to... 
talk yeah. about my morning. Sorry for your loss, but I didn't do this. Yes, you did. And you know you did. Absolutely. And all of the evidence points exactly to, yes, the fuck you did. Yeah. And during the trial, the prosecution presented DNA evidence, like we talked about, all of Kelly's blood on all of these items that he brought them to that linked Beard to the murder. And he was found guilty on all charges and he was given life in prison without parole. Bold move, Cotton. See if it pays off. It did not. Spoiler alert, didn't pay off. Idiot. So two months later, Thomas Clayton's trial started. The district attorney knew that he needed to make sure that the jury saw Thomas's motive for having Kelly killed. Several witnesses were called, including women that Thomas was having affairs with. One of these was a life insurance agent who testified that she and Clayton had a threesome with another agent. And after that, Thomas was more open with her. He would drop by. He would talk about his marriage. He called Kelly lazy. He called her a bitch. She testified that Thomas would say that he couldn't consider a divorce because Kelly would, quote, take everything. Money is very important to Thomas, as we know. Yes. So the agent also offered up another nugget. Um, About a year before Kelly was murdered, Thomas had taken out a life insurance policy on Kelly, and he he had considered upping the payout to over a million dollars. Clayton's lawyers tried to say that he was arrested because the first responders tainted everything. And they said that the reason why all of this was tainted was because they said, oh, it looks like a domestic violence attack. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, they've just decided that it was Thomas Clayton and it's going to be Thomas Clayton. Mm-hmm. And they also tried to say that it was all on Beard. They claimed that outside of their professional relationship, Clayton didn't even know Beard. They told the jury that Beard had a recording of, uh, or recording, had a record. <laughs> they, I don't know if he had a recording of it, but he had a record of breaking into people's houses and that Clayton was a great target because it was a known fact that he carried large amounts of cash. So Thomas's only crime is being super wealthy and carrying around money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to, help a guy out who had fallen on hard times. He's just so kind that, yeah. Selfless, really. Yeah. Lies and untruths. Exactly. It didn't happen. So Clayton's claim that he didn't know Beard played greatly into his conviction. The prosecution brought in an expert in cell phone data who testified that there were several occasions in which Beard and Clayton were in close proximity in late 2015, up September 2015, And this is too many times to have just been a coincidence. And the expert also testified that Beard had been in contact with Clayton via two different phone numbers that didn't belong to Clayton. One of of those was Linda, his poker friend. And then the other was a landline of a mechanic shop near his business. Yeah. And Tom Clayton had also just bought a bicycle for for Michael Beard. Uh And he had loaned Michael Beard one of his trucks that they used at the serve pro business, I guess. So if you look at the, that one was red. But if you look at the surveillance footage of serve pro that night where Tom, you know, his business was, you see this red truck leaving serve pro. And then a few hours later, it comes back into serve pro. He leaves it there. And then you see somebody riding on a bicycle away. Mm. And he had just gotten him this bicycle. And one of the things that the defense tried to use was like, well, you don't have a record of Tom Clayton paying Michael Beard this $10,000 for the murder, right? 
So yeah, because he was arrested the next day. So it's like right. So he yeah he may not have ever paid him, but there is a text from Michael Beard to Tom Clayton in what the days before the murder, yeah. and it said, "I need a little bit," which the police are like, "He's talking about money." But if Tom gave him some money, I mean, if he's got, do they have a record of all of these stacks of cash he has everywhere? No. Right. Like, do we have serial numbers and we can corroborate that? Yeah. Like, if he had $22,000 just in a trunk of a car that he let somebody borrow and left it in that car, he's got little piles of money everywhere. So I'm sure that $10,000, we're not going to be able to track that down. It's, it, I mean, it's not like he wrote him a check. Right. And I mean, I think that that part of it is, I don't want to say smart of Thomas Clayton, but nobody has any idea. If I was going to pay somebody $10,000 to do anything, I'd have to take it out of savings. I'd have to put it into this account. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I don't just have that kind of shit hanging around my house. Right. There would be a trail of it. But Thomas Clayton didn't have that because he had, like you said, stacks of cash all over the place. Yeah. So, it I mean, was, I know that, like, to prove a murder for hire, it is really helpful to obviously have that, like, exchange of money. Receipt, right, yeah. But... In this case, because he had so much cash laying around everywhere, like, you're not going to have that. But you certainly do have all of the cell phone data. Because, again, Tom says, I never, I haven't seen Michael Beard in I don't know how long. You know, he was fired and I never saw him outside of work. But there are so many instances where they will text each other or call each other and talk on the phone and then they will meet up somewhere. Mm -hmm. And they're meeting up places on multiple occasions. And how does Michael Beard have the keys to your house because I know that he did do some work on the house or at the house before, but Tom Clayton never, I mean, he could have very easily been like, well, yeah, he had keys to my house because he used to do work for me. And so he had keys to my house. Like he just had the keys so he could come in and out and do his work. Mm -hmm. But he didn't say that. Right. At the end of the trial, Thomas Clayton, like Michael Beard, was found guilty of first and second degree murder. And he was also, he was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Both men have appealed their convictions. Both were denied. And Charlie and Colin are living with one of Kelly's sisters, Kim. Kim said that if she could say one thing to Thomas, it would be, quote, you took her life, not her light. And her light will shine forever through Charlie, through Colin, through me, forever. And we will be okay. Mm. These kinds of cases, I mean, any case, really, this is what we talk about. We talk about some terrible, tragic things all the time, and it's so sad. This one really, really, really makes me so sad because these children did not lose. They didn't just lose their mom. No. They lost both of their parents. Yeah. And one of the things that Michael Beard said when he first confessed before he started changing, you know, all of his story about the insurance scam or whatever, he said that Tom had told him, when you go in and kill Kelly, burn the house down. And he knew, he, and he said, he never said specifically outright kill the children, but he said, don't leave any witnesses. Mm. And he knew the children were home that night. They were yeah. in their beds that should have been asleep. He knew those children would die in that fire. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is wrong with you? And like the forensic, what, psychologist or whatever that was in the Meet Mary murder thing. Yeah. You know, they said that he's definitely a narcissist, that he views other people around him as just pawns, you know, pieces to get whatever it is that he wants. When he couldn't live his, you know, hockey, professional hockey player fantasy when he got hurt and he had to retire, 
his entire identity became wrapped around money and wealth. And he wanted to leave Kelly. He wanted to be a person who had no strings attached anywhere. He wanted to go and do whatever no he responsibilities. wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. And that included his children. Mm-hmm. But he knew that if he divorced her, she would get half of his money. And custody of the kids, most likely. And because he didn't, I mean, unless he was going to use, I mean, we could speculate what he would have done if it went differently. But if she got custody of the kids and he's paying child support on top of that. Exactly. And that cuts into his wealthy, you know, whatever. It looks a lot better public-wise, obviously, for your family to die in a tragic fire because Mm -hmm. his hope was that the fire would destroy all the evidence and it wouldn't look like a murder at all. And then um, on top of that, he gets this life insurance mm-hmm. that he, he took out. a million dollars. Yeah. It's certainly evil to order a hit on your wife. It's just feels like another thing entirely to be like, oh yeah, my kids will be home. Don't leave any witnesses. Yeah. And the whole time all of this is taking place and all this is happening, he is playing the part of the loving, doting father and husband. Yep. Yeah. To the outside, everybody thought that it was, they were like the picture-perfect couple. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really, and Kelly had no idea about the affairs or anything. Like, mm-hmm. by all accounts, she had no idea about that. Well, while he's texting these women to um, do whatever, I mean, they're, they're like sexually explicit text messages that he's sending them. He's texting Kelly, sweet, amazing things. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and yeah, and he's telling everybody else around him, that my wife is lazy, my wife is a bitch, like just calling her all these names and then texting her and being like, good morning, beautiful, or whatever he was saying. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what he was saying. But yeah, it was text messages to like that effect. Yeah. So -mm. she could not have known. He never, ever gave her a chance to be like, let's work on this or, which I don't, I don't believe that what he said about her was even true. No. But, you know, he never even gave her a chance. Mm -mm. Yeah. I mean, she's maintaining the home while you're out doing what you're doing all the time. He's mm-hmm. gambling all the time. Mm-hmm. She's the one taking care of the kids and doing all that. Yeah, that's hard work, man. And she is not lazy. All of that proves that she's not lazy. Taking care of kids proves she is not lazy. Yeah. But she's willing to work. She's done it before. Yeah, exactly. Fuck that, man. I just, oof. Yep. He's and the worst. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Let us know what you guys think about this case. You can, of course, um, comment on the post in our Instagram. You can join one of our Facebook groups. We have a free podcast case discussion group, or we have a smaller group if you're a $10 tier patron or higher. Just a little more cozy. Yeah. Yeah. It's intimate. Sure is. Um, So yeah, let us know what you guys think about this case. And um, we love you. We love you. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 